You're listening to Vicente Garcia and Juan Luis Guerra in a beautiful song called Loma de Cayenas. Loma de Cayenas. Vicente Garcia is a three-time uh, Grammy Award winner. Juan Luis Guerra is also a Grammy Award winner. And uh, when uh, Vicente was growing up, his biggest idol was Juan Luis Guerra. And in uh, 2018, they were able to record this particular song, uh, collaborating, and of course, achieving uh, a major goal and a major dream. And kind of an exciting and interesting story. They're both from the uh, Dominican Republic. And uh, lovely bachata music, great dancing, check it out. iTunes, if you get a chance, uh, go on YouTube. Vicente Garcia, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Adrian Perez. You are listening to Coast to Coast Latino. This is our Wednesday edition of Coast to Coast Latino. We are brought to you by... The Vida de Oro Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to the arts and enhancing the community. We're also brought to you by U-Haul. For your moving and storage needs, contact U-Haul. And our other sponsor is OIC Tax Services. OIC Tax Services. If you find yourself in trouble with the federal government, be sure to contact OIC and they can help you resolve your tax issues. Coast to Coast Latino is uh, available to you uh, through Spotify, through uh, Podomatic, and uh, we're also on, uh, on um, uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, and we also have all of our podcasts on our fa our uh, Facebook uh, page, Coast to Coast Latino. You can also check us out uh, at our website, coasttocoastlatino.com. Uh, and if you are interested in writing to us and sharing um, your thoughts, your information, your questions, by all means, send us an email at latino at coast to coast latino.com that's latino at coast the number two coast latino.com again i want to thank you for joining us the, uh, today there are a lot of things that are happening uh, in the latino community across the nation but the biggest one is COVID 19 again it's resurging, it's coming back, it's coming back with force. And uh, let me tell you, the Latino community is the one that's being the most impacted. News uh, items from throughout the US are already telling us that. From the East Coast all the way to the Midwest, uh, every single state is experiencing an uptick. Uh, it is a very dangerous 
virus for the Latino community. And the reason being is we still are the, the most hurt by this virus. We have the largest number of deaths across the U.S. And in fact, during the summer, Latinos had the highest number of deaths from COVID-19. So COVID-19 is not a joke. It is not something to play with. And for those of you who have felt that uh, it's okay to run around without a mask, without social distancing, um, you're at high risk. And if you have uh, underlying conditions such as diabetes, being obese, heart disease, you especially have a very, very high potential of dying from COVID-19. And COVID-19, I've described before, is not uh, definitely not the kind of disease you want to die from. Uh, it's essentially equivalent to drowning because what happens is your lungs fill with so much liquid because the rest of your body stops functioning that, uh, that you essentially drown and uh, not a good way to die. For those of you who uh, are saying, well, wait a minute, the majority of people still survive. Well, that's true. But let's talk to survivors. Many of them have a combination of continuous headaches, nonstop headaches for months. Others have their kidneys begin to fail. And as a result, they find themselves on dialysis. Again, this is nothing to scoff at. Uh, we know that the uh, president has made every effort to make less of what this disease really is about. And for the Latino community, we got to take it very seriously. COVID-19 has also had a significant impact on our businesses. Uh, whether you're in, uh, in California, Pennsylvania, Texas, Small businesses have been tremendously hurt. Latino small businesses have been tremendously hurt by this. And uh, now that we've come up on, uh, on, uh, on uh, the holidays, we want to start encouraging you to shop Latino. Don't be afraid. Go check them out. If they're open, shop Latino. We have to strengthen our Latino small businesses, the main reason is because that's how you strengthen an economy. By keeping the dollar local, you strengthen your economy. So, uh, you know, shop Latino. Make sure that uh, you, uh, you take uh, your family out, do social distancing, wear masks, go eat at a Latino restaurant, Go, uh, go buy clothing, uh, or for that matter, services. What's interesting is this pandemic uh, is also forcing a lot of Latino businesses to rethink about their business strategy. And what we're finding is uh, some of them are even giving up their, uh, their uh, restaurants to go into the service business, such as construction. And uh, there's a huge demand, huge demand for construction 
there's a huge demand for construction supplies and uh, let me tell you in California uh, some contractors are are already too busy to do anything for you for the next 10 months and that's to give you an idea of how this uh, this pandemic has has impacted all of us and the reason construction is so large is because people are working from home and so they're modifying their homes that includes adding rooms uh, expanding a house uh, uh, adding additional uh, uh, restrooms believe it or not because in some cases some people are actually having people come over uh, and meet with them uh, but through the use of zoom through the use of uh, of Google meet you know, it's amazing how folks are accommodating their new way of thinking, their new way of, of, of uh, doing business. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting actually when you think about how technology is now moving in into our lives. Now, uh, many small businesses, by the way, were never prepared for doing business through the internet. Uh, and so we see Hispanic Chambers of Commerce throughout the United States now offering uh, the technology, offering the, the basic uh, services, training, etc., to get people on board, to get the small business owners on board. Because if they're not online, they're going to suffer even more. And uh, this uh, particular holiday season, uh, it's already been predicted that it's going to be the largest purchasing of items through the internet. We're no longer going to see the Black Fridays. We're not going to see the stampeding, the the big pushes. And I know some of us would, would, wouldn't mind experiencing that because we look forward to it every single year. But this year has been different and it's going to continue to be different. And uh, until this pandemic goes away, uh, we need to we need to modify our habits and and start looking at how else we can do things, and that includes small business owners. Uh, I want to jump over to uh, voting because voting is very important in our community. We have uh, we have for the first time the largest ethnic voting bloc in the United States. We are approximately 13.6% uh, of the total voting uh, uh, people that are registered to vote in the United States. And that's even larger than the African American community. And because of that, we have the ability to really make a difference when it comes to this particular election coming up. Just to give you an idea of the the response that is happening right now, uh, according to the Tampa Bay Times, Florida has already seen a larger number of mail-in ballots with still two weeks to go. Uh, than they did in the entire year, the entire election of 2016. And uh, currently they have 
uh, an estimated 2.95 million people who have voted online, I mean, excuse me, through the mail, and that surpasses the entire 2016 election with for, where they only had 2.73 million voters so it's it's very very significant but here's what happens when you have a large voter participation typically the democrats win okay right now there are a number of republicans that are predicting what they're calling a bloodbath during this election and that includes uh, senator ted cruz out of uh, out of texas a republican who ran for president unsuccessfully in 2016 and has been a staunch supporter of uh, president trump but he thinks that there's going to be a major bloodbath because of the total number of Democrats that are voting. So the mail ballot returns are skewing in Florida, are skewing heavily towards the Democrats. Uh, right now, according to early stats, it shows that 1.43 million Democrats have submitted their ballot, and uh, so far, only 900,000 ballots are Republican. Uh, so Florida may go extremely blue this year, but they're not the only ones. They're not the only state. Texas is probably going to go blue this year. Uh, and Pennsylvania is probably going to go blue this year. In fact, when you look at uh, Pennsylvania's uh, entire effort uh, the the by the uh, president and the vice president to go out and actually campaign in Pennsylvania. Uh, they have made zero effort, by the way, to really reach out to the Latino community. And there's a huge Latino community in Pennsylvania. But Pennsylvanians, Latino Pennsylvanians, are voting mostly Democrat. And they are, in fact, uh, going to be a deciding factor on whether Pennsylvania goes blue. Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, and even Nevada, all of them have large Latino populations where Latinos will be a very influential group provided that they all vote. And according to the uh, Chicago Sun-Times, a record 32 million Latinos have projected to be eligible to vote and uh, get this, an August poll from the Latino Vote, which is a nonprofit organization, and it's the nation's largest Latino voter uh, registration organization, showed that less than 60% of Latinos plan to vote. In other words, uh, the majority of registered Latinos are planning to vote, and another 12% were still undecided. Now, uh, in um, yeah, nationwide, we had the largest number of Latino voter registration than ever. And when you look at when you look at the uh, vo Voto Latino uh, 
effort, they registered 1.57 million Latinos, the largest ever in history. And uh, according to uh, Maria Teresa Kumar, who's the CEO of Voto Latino, she says uh, Latinos uh, have been ignored by the political establishment. And she basically reemphasizes that the large number of Latino registered voters is now attracting a lot of attention from both political parties. And uh, that's very significant. That's very significant. And uh, we look forward to making sure that uh, all of us participate this year by casting a ballot for whichever candidate you like, uh, whatever propositions are being introduced, whatever measures are being introduced, uh, but you gotta you gotta make sure that you vote. And by the way, don't forget local elections. Local elections are very critical, especially school board elections. If you don't select the right people, the education system and the education that your children receive uh, may not be very good. So it's critical that you elect individuals that are very, very committed to getting our kids educated. In California, the education system ranks 48th in the entire nation, 48th. And this is the world's fifth largest economy. And yet we have just a, a really poor education system. So Californians especially, you need to look at your school boards. You need to see who is running, why are they running, and how effective are they going to be. We need to turn our schools around. And and uh, interesting statistic shows that a lot of people who are, have the ability to, during this pandemic, are pulling their kids out of public schools and putting them in private schools. The reason this is happening is frustration with the public schools. Again, you gotta elect the right people to be your school board representatives. A frustrating headline out of NBC News is telling us that of the uh, thousand plus parents who were separated from their kids under a uh, 2017 pilot program that was initiated by the Trump administration, there are 545 migrant children who were separated from their parents who, whose parents haven't been able to be found. And uh, that is very, very unsettling considering that uh, these kids have been and continue to live in cages. Now the uh, the, the, the cages are not ideal because many of them still sleep on hard floors. Uh, they're given uh, some form of covering, but they're still cold. But the thing is, is that they're missing the love, the attention, the hugs from their parents. According to the uh, NBC article, it says that uh, lawyers who were appointed by a federal judge to identify the uh, 
migrant families who were separated. They're the ones who are saying that uh, they've yet to be able to track down the parents of 545 children and uh, that about two-thirds of those parents were deported. So that makes it even more difficult to find them because they've been deported. And uh, we do have not only those attorneys, but uh, there's also the ACLU uh, who've been who's been making efforts to find members of the families that have been separated, but yet uh, they've been unable to uh, to find them. Um, and you know, th this is what happens when public policy whether it's through executive order or through legislation where uh, public policy is not well thought out it's done with the intent of uh, of uh, perhaps impacting uh, some type or deterring uh, some type of uh, immigration illegal immigration and what they should have done is they really should have thought about this uh, it makes the Trump administration look extremely heartless. And uh, it also makes them look like bumbling idiots because, quite frankly, why did the parents get deported while the kids remained? That didn't make any sense. Why didn't you just, if you're going to deport somebody, just deport the whole family? And, uh, and so... It, and it's no better than, than uh, for those of you who I know uh, uh, continue to believe that uh, uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden didn't do this. Yes, they did. And the deportations of Barack Obama have become infamous. That's why he was called the great deporter. I mean, deporting three million people, separating tens of thousands of families and uh, just hurting, it, it hurts people all the way around. Uh, and this is, this is what happens when you don't have good, effective, well thought out immigration reform. We don't have a true immigration process. The things that we have have been patchwork and uh, it's, it, the, our US immigration laws have not been looked at to see how effective they are in modern times, how positive they can be, or modified to be able to, to address the type of workforce that the United States needs today. And again, it's extremely frustrating uh, for those of us who see this from the sidelines and uh, many of us certainly wish that we could do a lot more to resolve this very tragic approach at immigration. Shifting gears to uh, talk about another important segment of the Latino community, and that's our veterans. Veterans in the United States, especially Latino veterans in the United States, have made major contributions to fight for our freedoms, to fight for the many things that we cherish today about America. And uh, in 1948, there was a group of uh, women, uh, both wives 
and mothers who lost loved ones and they felt that there was a need to recognize the loved ones that they uh, that they have lost so they started a fundraising effort to purchase a statue to represent the many soldiers, Latino soldiers, that were lost. Uh, these women, oh, and by the way, it included sisters and grandmothers, comadres, and a whole group, but it was women who initiated this effort in Sacramento, California, back in 1948, and they were able to obtain a statue called El Soldado. El Soldado currently sits on California state property in Sacramento, California. It is the only statue that sits on state property in the entire United States. And of course, we've seen many statues that are dedicated to specific individuals, to a group of individuals. This particular one is the only one that represents culture, the Latino culture. Uh, it was uh, it was moved from its original location uh, back in the uh, 1960s, and then an effort in the uh, late 1970s was initiated to upgrade and uh, and make repairs to the statue. Uh, more recently, two years ago, it was finally. Uh, upgraded to its current status and understand that although it sits on California state property it is not it is not funded by California state taxpayers it is in fact a privately funded uh, uh, statue that the only way repairs can happen or upgrades can happen is if there is an effort to raise money for it. And uh, the California Department of Veter Veterans Affairs carried a fundraiser for a number of years. And uh, once they were able to reach their goal, they were able to upgrade the statue. A few weeks ago, the statue was vandalized by the Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, which is frustrating because it tells two stories. It tells the ignorance of individuals who have no idea what this statue represents. And two, it shows that our efforts to let people know about this statue ha has been failing. So there's a necessity to create a larger education of what the statue represents, and all statues representing Latino veterans across the United States. We need to talk about who they are and what they represent. And, and we need to be able to explain the history and the efforts that are made to keep these statues as sacred as possible because they represent our fallen soldiers. In uh, World War II, we were the most decorated group of all groups. Latino veterans were the most decorated groups. The Korean War, we had tens of 
thousands of Latinos who went to Korea to fight for this country and of course Vietnam. And there are incredible stories, whether it's from Sacramento, El Paso, uh, uh, New Orleans, New York. We hear about the stories of, of, and heroics of Latinos. For example, during World War II, a Latino was able to, believe it or not, capture a thousand Japanese in the Pacific Islands. A thousand Japanese soldiers in the Pacific Island. One Latino American soldier. Uh, we hear of Esquadron Cuarenta uh, Veinte, uh, which is a group of air attack individuals, Air Force people, who fought for the United States out of Mexico. Uh, and some of us have heard of the many soldiers who came out of uh, Bowie High School in El Paso, Texas, where they captured uh, battalions of tanks, German tanks, in Italy. And uh, there's even a book that was written uh, called the, uh, the Toughest Chicanos of World War II. And uh, it breaks down the 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 uh, the heroics of the many Latinos who fought for this country during World War II. Um, but it's critical for us to also recognize that currently we have a huge number of soldiers serving the United States uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, they also served during the, uh, the uh, Desert Storm and Desert Shield campaigns uh, 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 to fight Iraq. And uh, we have just dozens of Latinos who've received the Medal of Honor. And so here's my thing for you to ponder. During this pandemic, how can we best recognize the contributions that our veterans have made? And each one of our communities should step up and do something significant. Anyway, this is my cue. I want to thank you for joining me this Wednesday. Coast to Coast Latino is available of course, at coasttocoastlatino.com. We're available on Spotify. We're available on the Apple uh, podcast. And uh, my name is Adrian Perez. I want to thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast today. Please write to us, latino at coasttocoastlatino.com. That's latino at coasttocoastlatino.com. Until Friday. Stay safe.